0: Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm
1: Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian. And earlier this week, I injected myself with some of that new Josh. Since then, all I do is sit around the house in sweatpants and watch erotic wizard porn. (laughs) Hey, sounds like
0: fun, really. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like that's redundant. I mean, is is there wizard porn that's not?
1: Well, I mean, you know, it just really depends how uh, into the the scene these wizards are getting. You know, so sure, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. sure.
0: <laughs> well, uh, appropriately enough, Jason's a bit under the weather, and this episode is really the right episode no. for that. Because building ca- this is this... character
1: development for the for exactly. the for, for an awesome movie here. <laughs> <laughs> Cause
0: this season, uh, we are talking about the films of twenty twelve, and we're here at our first feature episode, and we are talking about director Brandon Cronenberg's film Antiviral, which is all about people getting sick on purpose. So sort of, I mean I don't know if we could call this film prescient in some way. Nobody's actually injecting themselves with celebrities' viruses yet, but I feel like we're closer
1: to it maybe than we were in 2020. Josh, I feel like uh, that we timed this out pretty perfectly by accident because at the time of recording, Cronenberg's latest movie, Infinity Pool, just played at Sundance.
0: Yes, it did. It played at Sundance and is out in theaters, so... When we were looking at what to talk about for this episode, because 2012 is so recent, it was a bit hard to judge who made a debut in 2012 and has gone on to really have a major career. And it's still maybe slightly premature to say this about Brandon Cronenberg, but he's now got three films that I think all will have their merits that we'll talk about. But regardless of our opinions of them, have all certainly reached an audience and gained him. A building following over the past a little over a decade.
1: He is yet to foray into the world of wizard pornography, but um, we'll see where the next uh, 10 years go for him.
0: Yeah, I think of all the debut filmmakers that we've covered he's perhaps the most likely to go in that direction. <laughs> yeah, except
1: there would be like one wizard splitting another wizard's head open in a very graphic formation before the the wizard sticks his penis right inside of the skull wound and everything. Anyway. Jason's just going for it. Tell episode. me that's not something Brandon Cronenberg would do. And we could start with it here on antiviral or antiviral, if you will, where uh, you do see a lot of graphic gnarly stuff like that. You do indeed. This is a very disgusting
0: movie at times. I uh, (laughs) looked away in occasional moments. There's a lot of, I I don't have problems with like lots of blood and guts, but if, if there are close-ups of needles going into skin, even if it's just to like take a blood test or something, I can't watch that. So there were moments of this movie that I had to look. I
1: was surprised because, you know, I know you don't like like bodily functions in films, and this is like really, really in your face, like bleeding and pussy stuff and just type of gross things that I don't want to see. I mean, I respect the body and all of its functions, but uh, I didn't need to <laughs> see it as uh, as close up as Cronenberg made it. So I thought that might have turned you off from the film.
0: Yeah, it varies. I The thing that, but there's not, I guess what. I don't like seeing as a lot of uh, bathroom bodily functions, let's say. <laughs> so that's not where this movie is going, per se. So um, I guess it didn't bother me. Like I said, in this movie, really the only stuff that I had to look away from was the, the needles going into skin, which I can never watch, even in non-horror movies yeah. when people are using drugs or going to the doctor or whatever if they show that I can't I can't do what it. What about yet. in real life
1: when you have to go to the doctor?
0: Oh yeah, that's a definite problem for me. <laughs> I definitely have difficulty with that. <laughs> it's no good. Anyway, learning so much in this episode. <laughs> um, Antiviral premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 2012 in the Un Certain Regard section and was then edited slightly, Brandon Cronenberg edited six minutes out of this film before it then played at the Toronto Film Festival in 2012, where it won the Best Canadian First Feature Award, which is a very specific award. And I have to wonder how much competition there was. For I,
1: that. I, I feel like that's that's really just like, hey, can we give a Cronenberg an award at this film festival here?
0: Although I think it is an award that they give out regularly. So maybe there's at least one candidate for it uh, every year. All you need is one, buddy. Yeah, that is true. That is true. So it uh, was released later in the U.S. in 2013 in a wider commercial release and grossed a hundred and twenty-three thousand dollars, approx. Uh, worldwide on its budget, according to Wikipedia, of three point three million Canadian dollars. So I'm not sure how many American dollars. Oh, means. let's
1: find out right now. I know. So are you saying it? it was loonies?
0: Uh, no, I think loonies are two-dollar bills in Canada. So it was three point. So that would be only like one point. Six loonies, million loonies. <laughs> wow, you
1: did a lot of math. Uh, it's about $2, uh dollars and 35 cents. About that, Josh.
0: Okay, and that's at the current exchange rate. We don't know what the exchange rate was in 2012.
1: So well, it would be really 2013, more- like you said.
0: Yeah, but it could be slightly more or slightly less than that. The point is, it obviously did not make its budget back at the box office. So this was not a movie that was a big hit, although it did get a good amount of attention, I think, just because Brandon Cronenberg is, of course, the son of David Cronenberg, and those kinds of things always get a bit of attention. But maybe because it wasn't a huge hit, that was one of the reasons why it took a little while for Cronenberg to make another film. Um, And it got kind of mixed reviews from critics. So uh, Megan Lehman in The Hollywood Reporter said, If imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, David Cronenberg should be feeling pretty chuffed with son Brandon's big screen debut. A petri dish of high concept perversity and cultural commentary teeming with lo-fi ickiness. Clearly weaned on dad's early body horror films such as Shivers and Scanners, the 32-year-old Canadian writer-director gives a sardonic, Cronenbergian twist to a very au courant subject, the sickness of celebrity worship. It's a topic ripe with potential, and the younger Cronenberg takes off down some gratifyingly weird alleys as he follows the travails of a young man peddling the viruses of ill celebrities to obsessed fans.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that was really, it's almost impossible to watch it and not be like, it was almost a surprise that, um, uh, you know, this is the child of a very, or the son of a very famous director, right? And, um, you know, to do something so much in the, when you're trying to get out of that shadow, you would think you might like, he might do like wacky comedies or like romance or something, but he did, he basically, he was like, hey, dad. Do you have any uh, screenplays that uh, that you have unproduced? No? Okay, I'll write one. You don't want to make it? Cool, I'll make it then.
0: Yeah, um, we have previously covered a parent-child pairing in Francis Ford Coppola and Sofia Coppola. And they definitely have very distinctly different styles, I would say. But the Cronenbergs here certainly... Are very similar and and it's not like brandon just did this as a debut i mean he's only made three films so far but all three of his films very much are indebted to the works of his father. yes
1: uh, although i will say they use more gels more colorful gels
0: (laughs) yes that that i suppose is true he
1: loves the gels
0: and and still i think he obviously for for a debut there was a lot of focus on his parentage but i think still in in reviews of his film just recently, people still end up focusing.
1: Yeah, you yeah, know, it's funny because it's like, you know, a lot of in other businesses, right? Like, oh, Jim's going to take over the family restaurant or whatnot, right? You don't have that here. They're like, Johnny's going to take over the hardware store, you know, whatever. We don't have like David Croninger going like, ah, Brandon's going to take over the old train in, uh, in crazy messed up movies.
0: Right. Well, but he <laughs> has anyway. That's really what he's done. So... Um, Gary Goldstein in the Los Angeles Times said, even if the horror thriller antiviral wasn't written and directed by David Cronenberg's son, Brandon, this meat locker of a movie might still invite comparisons to much of the elder filmmaker's signature output. Cronenberg opts for style over substance throughout, filling his debut feature with surface characters, hazy narrative rules, icy white-on-white set design, and shots so precisely composed they look feng shui'd even the picture's selective gore fetishistic close-ups of needle injections aside feels overly studied still antiviral is often fascinating to watch if cronenberg's not yet a dead ringer for his iconic dad he's taken an intriguing first step
1: i uh, i agree with that that it did feel like a lot of um uh, what what did he say? Sizzle over substance or shot style, style over substance. substance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, sizzle over steak, so to speak. Uh, I mean, to the point where like, uh, I was getting like, I was like, okay, dude, I, I get it. You know, you got to give me something else here to keep me involved, which is a trend that I've come back to in his later films as well.
0: Yeah. I I do think he establishes a particular tone and a particular approach and just kind of, locks that in for the entire movie. I felt like it was interesting enough and the world that he created had enough quirks to it that I was pretty well held for the the majority of the film, but it does feel like it could be tighter. And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little more, but as this is a first feature and you think, okay, he's going to kind of refine things. And he does in a way but also doubles down on all of it pretty similar <laughs> yeah. approaches. Yeah. In the later films. And I mean, it's good that he cut six minutes out of this. I, I don't think I would have wanted this to be six minutes longer, but he probably could have cut at least six more minutes out of it somewhere. in
1: that Yeah. Way. And so Josh, for preparation, we watched this, we watched, or I watched possessor, which I know you've seen already. We all watched infinity pool this week. And then um you and I also watched the short film Please speak clearly how what is it called? Please speak
0: continuously and describe
1: your experiences as they come to you. They could have just been called another dream.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you watch all of those and you, you know, he's got a very clear style. And and David Cronenberg as much as he has a certain distinctive style and kind of narrative interest, over time he's made a pretty wide variety of films. Um and and Brandon is not there yet. Let's say. Yeah. I mean,
1: and that's not, and, and that's uh, like a bit unfair because, you know, Cronenberg has, David has uh, decades and decades of filmmaking, but it's, right. you know, you don't watch this and you're like, oh, Eastern Promises is in this guy's future or anything like right,
0: that. Right, right. But it could be something like that. We'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. But, but yeah, I mean, at this point, everyone is just kind of pointing out the promise, I think, mainly. So Noel Murray in the AV Club said, For all its preoccupation with disease, antiviral isn't especially visceral. The movie can be repulsive at times, but Cronenberg is more interested in ideas than in blood and guts. Still, those ideas are something. Antiviral is oddly lacking in urgency for a movie about dying people and the corporate raiders looking to exploit them. But it's rarely tedious, because Cronenberg keeps coming up with clever new details of antiviral's milieu. Cronenberg doesn't say anything too profound about a culture of celebrity obsession, but antiviral does develop an eerie beauty, as its characters ruminate on how decay gives everything from flowers to human faces their unique, often enviable qualities.
1: Yeah, I know Cronenberg says, you know, in like worlds like uh, sci-fi worlds, you don't have to and don't necessarily want to give all the details because you want to leave... Uh, you know, sum up to the viewers, or maybe you don't want to just pound it out uh, if there's, if it holds back the storytelling. But I think we could have used a few more details on the celebrity obsession and how these celebrities have sh- uh, struck these deals with these companies to like, build these cell trees out of them. And, and I, I think there were a few missing elements that that could have grounded this a little more.
0: Yeah, maybe so. But I am generally in agreement with him that oftentimes the more you explain these things, the less interesting they become. I
1: agree also. But I just felt like this one needed a a few little pieces to bolt it down for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I think this is a movie where, I mean, at least for me, even though it's, it's relatively straightforward when you kind of boil it down, But he really drops you right into that world at the very beginning of the film. And it did take me a while to get a handle on like, okay, what what is happening? What are these people doing? Um, You know, what is this company and what are they offering to customers and things like that? And so I kind of like that feeling, though, because it's like he's not holding your hand. And I think in all of his films, he puts you down in a world that looks kind of just like the present. And then it's just a matter of fact thing that like, oh, by the way, also this crazy ass thing is happening. Yeah. And there are more gels. Yeah, you really not as much in this movie though. I think in Possessor and Infinity Pool, but but less so here. This is really and and in the short antiseptic. Yeah, and the short film too. Yeah. But here it's really that antiseptic, you know, very clean white. Sterile. Yeah. Yeah. Sterile future kind of book. Yeah. So Jason, you were you just had a crash course in Brandon Cronenberg here this week. Yeah. I
1: I had never seen any of his stuff. So um that was good. Like, I mean, it's cool that we get to do that and just Digging deep. Right. So, um, right. I, uh, I like possessor the best out of the bunch. And, um, you know, I know Dave is just like, uh, building his own cell tree of, uh, infinity pools over there just because he loved it so much, but I felt a lot of the films had the same flaws and possessor was able, able to mm-hmm. overcome it a little more. And, um, we will talk more about those flaws here in antiviral.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, I had seen Possessor and, and liked it a lot, and of course, watched Infinity Pool just this week because it just came out this week, but this one I had not seen, and I was excited especially because this is the only movie that we're talking about this season that I had never seen before, so it was cool to get to see something new here, which is always fun, so um, I I really enjoy it. I mean, I don't disagree with you about any of your criticisms here, but I think this is just kind of, I love David Cronenberg and this is kind of my jam in a way because Cron- David Cronenberg has sort of changed things up a lot, especially in the later part of his career. It was like, oh, here's here's a version of the early Cronenberg film that now is being made by Cronenberg Jr. here. And I kind of like that. Dave? So, yeah. Dave, had you seen this one?
2: I did. Actually, I uh, went back and watched it after Josh and I uh, covered Possessor on Piecing It Together. Uh, I went back and watched Antiviral, and I liked it then, but I think I was very confused by a lot of it. And I liked it a lot more this time. Um, to to me, that and Possessor are like they're they're on even grounds. Um, and as you said, yes, I I'm in love with Infinity Pool. I, I just think it's so great. And I I know there's a lot of criticisms about it. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. But um, I think it's awesome.
0: Yeah, I I'm with Jason. I think Possessor is the best of the the three. But I I think they're all pretty. Close and and make yeah. me curious to see where else things are going to
1: go for him. I agree that they're all pretty close, and I'm not saying that in a good way. <laughs>
0: all right. <laughs> Is there anything else on the background of antiviral that you? Yeah, to Yeah, pretty thing?
1: cool, Josh. In 2012, you mentioned this played the Cannes Film Festival. Also that year, David Cronenberg's movie Cosmopolis was in there.
0: Yeah, with well, Cosmopolis uh, also featuring Sarah Gadon. From this film. So a lot of crossover there.
1: What a year for Sarah Gaydon. I wonder if they gave her an award at the Toronto Film Festival. They should have. She's
0: a Canadian icon. (laughs) So we'll come back then in a moment and talk more of our general thoughts on antiviral. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2012, we are talking about our. First feature pick, which is Brandon Cronenberg's *Antiviral*, and uh, Jason. It seems like you couldn't quite like fully get into. Yeah, that.
1: that's fair. That's fair, and I think I would say the same thing with uh, *Infinity Pool*. Also, like I like, you know, the premise starts, and you're like, "Oh, this is interesting. This is unique. Let's see where it goes," and then it just doesn't get to that next level. There's no like quote-unquote reversal, which there doesn't have to be, but there just has to be something else. And then when they do a reveal later in this movie, it's a it's a very heavy handed, murky reveal, um, which is the Hannah character who we all think is dead. And that's the one they've been harvesting is really not dead, but she's almost dead. So we have to still fix her. And it's like, well, that that's just clunky right there. There's nothing there's nothing uh, that elevates this of anything that's just brings us down.
0: Yeah, I mean I didn't feel like this was heavy-handed. I like yeah, that plot reveal is kind of basic. I mean, it's the, the sort of plot reveal that you would expect to happen, but I didn't think it was heavy-handed per se. And and given that this is a movie too that is making this comment on celebrity culture, it could have been a lot more heavy-handed. I think in a way one of the th- you know, when you're saying like you wanted more explanation of this world, that could have been a way if he'd added more of that, it could have come off as a lot more obvious and heavy handed in that like, Oh, here we're talking about celebrity worship or reality TV or whatever. We never find out why any of these people are famous. Are they actually like actors or musicians or they're just reality stars or what? And I think it's okay to just sort of leave all that to the imagination. I, I was
1: actually more interested with that kind of weird B plot where there's like a, um, a deli, I guess, where they're harvesting, uh, Sell meat? Would you call it of these celebrities and people are buying like uh, you know Hannah Hannah Geist steaks or something like that, and then that took you into that world of like that underground like black market of uh, of like virus trading or whatnot. I thought I thought there was more there that could have been explored, and and the way they did explore it, uh, it just didn't do enough for me there.
0: Yeah, I mean that is an interesting world. The idea that. I mean, it's again, it's not that far off from what we have now where companies are trying to grow sort of steaks or whatever from animal cells so that we don't have to kill actual animals. Um, and it's, it's just taken to the level where they're growing these from human cells and then selling them for, for people to to eat. And I, I wonder, I mean, in reality, if we perfect this process with animals, would someone start doing it with humans, whether it's celebrities or just humans in general, um, because- I just feel like it's something that that would
1: some sicko is gonna do it to to mm-hmm. eat. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah, to eat, like to be like a way is like oh, here's here's a way to be a cannibal without having to kill an actual person, right? Like,
1: right, and then people will use that. I mean, see, that's where you get into that, like, and that could be an interesting field to mine also for. You know stories of like, well, would you rather they just kill real people, bones and all? You know, or... <laughs> right? Yeah, that yeah,
2: and, and more, so, more so than just straight up cannibalism. I mean, it's it's about consuming celebrities as much as you possibly can to the point of actually eating them. And right? Yeah, yeah, it feels like people would want
0: but, that. <laughs> I think so, and and I think you're right, Jason, that there's like more to it there that we could have delved into.
1: Right, and that uh, you know, and that's really, like I said, a B story. This is all about infecting yourself with the illnesses or viruses or diseases that these celebrities have. And Josh, you were saying it didn't matter to you that you didn't um, get a little more into that psyche. But uh, I mean, like I've seen uh, Bruce Springsteen in concert over 50 times, maybe 60. But if he was, if he got really sick, I don't think I would inject myself with whatever he had. You know what I mean? Like that, that seems like uh, I need a little more to, Understand the psyche of the people. Who do that.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I feel like, like I too would not do that. Um, as we were just talking about, I'm uh, very cautious at avoiding illness. <laughs> Certainly, would not <laughs> deliberately infect myself, even if it came from a celebrity. But I think it's not hard for me to buy the idea that, like, people who are the kinds of fans who will, you know, uh, go crazy online. Um, about every tiny little thing about Taylor Swift or whatever, that if Taylor Swift offered, you know, her cold that she got recently, that those people would or some of those people at least would go for that. i I have no trouble buying into that without having uh, to learn
1: I mean, these more. are serious these are more yeah. serious illnesses than a cold that they're injecting.
0: well, it 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 seems to vary. And there is one. I mean, the 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 main plot here, we should mention Caleb Landry Jones, who is the star of this film. And, you know, the main plot, is that he has been smuggling out viruses by injecting himself with these viruses and then extracting them so he can sell them on the black market. And he injects himself with Hannah Geist, that's a Sarah Gaidon's character, her latest illness that turns out to be uh, far more dangerous than he realized. And, and at one point he does mention, I think either he mentions or the black market, like butcher guy mentions, that it's illegal for them to use deadly diseases. So these always have to be like a cold or herpes that they give uh, someone at the beginning of the film, or things like that that are not going to kill you. <laughs> so I feel like maybe it's like the flu. So it's a little more serious, but it doesn't seem to be too severe, really, for most people. Well,
1: it becomes pretty severe for him,
0: right? Because he's been bre- breaking law, and they make the point that that this is what would not be allowed. right. Co- Copy coded. The diseases yeah, are and copy-coded. not not only. Right, but not only copying the disease, but but even you know licensing a disease that would kill somebody, right, is not is not allowed. So, but Jason, what I want to know is, would you eat a Bruce Springsteen steak?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, Josh. I really have to think about that. But it's Springsteen, so it'd probably be like a hot dog. You know, and some ice cream, something really all American there or something. You know, so
0: yeah, because yeah, that won't kill you, right? It'll just be a, a tasty bit of meat, but it'll come from from your yeah. idol. So I don't. I know. mean, I don't.
1: I don't have uh, the desire to eat any human being at this point in time. But you know, it's a, it's a different world there. So who knows?
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know, you're not eating. Actual Springsteen, right? He's fine. He just has like donated the cell to grow
1: a culture. I don't Josh, know. Josh, which celebrity would you want to eat?
0: I, you know, I had to. I, I should have thought about that more because I figured I would bring this up and then I didn't think about it. But I probably would not, just because uh, I'm such a picky eater. Yeah. <laughs> I would just be like, I don't want to try this new food. I don't care what celebrity it came from. Yeah. I
1: feel like Josh, you know, we, we joke as a, a big Springsteen fan, but he's very lean. You know, I would maybe want True. something a little more fat on there or something. Yeah. Yeah. Springsteen would be gamey. Maybe <laughs> exactly. <to do> that. <laughs> you need someone. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I love all types of ethnic food, so we could go that route with it. There's a lot of different ways sure. we could take this, uh, the cell deli the celly, yeah. if you will
0: yeah. yeah they seem to be just selling very basic cuts of meat in this deli in the family.
1: It's probably a, a newer thing and they haven't evolved to like you know uh a Michelin star status yet
2: <laughs> right it's, although it's there funny, is the one they really don't look good
1: at all they look yeah, terrible so yeah they gross. all look like they've <laughs> yeah. uh, expired and spoiled and you shouldn't put them in your body <laughs>
0: Right. There's one scene where they go to what looks to be kind of a fancy restaurant where the the butcher has been selling his meat and presumably it's being made into more sophisticated dishes, but we don't really learn that much about it. So I guess the question is like, what celebrity chef would you want to cook your Springsteen
1: meat? Oh, what chef would I want? I mean, I think there's a number of chefs out there who could cook it. And I wonder if, if, How vegan chefs would feel about this, because this is, like you said, not eating real human beings. So is this like pro-vegan? Like this is faux human, right? This is impossible human, beyond human, or something like that. (laughs) Well, no, it's actually not because those are replacements. Right. But it's really built out of the cell tree and
0: everything. Right. And and that's something that again, companies are now doing with animal cells. And I'm not sure how vegans feel about that stuff. Um, cause that's something that's happening right now. Yeah,
1: We really blew it by not having a vegan as our guest on this one. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but it is, a, it is an interesting idea. So, so Dave, what celebrity do you want to eat?
1: Oh, I was hoping you would just skip
2: over me. Cause I, I don't have a good answer. Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. That's, no. that's, that's, that's Josh move on from this disgusting topic.
1: Yeah. So look, here's, <laughs> yes. here's some, uh, some of the Cronenberg, like I keep joking about the gels, but what I think he does is like, like that one review said he, He's very meticulous with his shot selection and there's a lot of uh slow motion shots that don't add anything it's just like I see you you're walking by flowers I get it there's a lot of crazy extreme close ups of uh you know uh, like I said blood spurting or you know uh people's faces after their outbreaks and stuff like that and um yeah, there's, of course, you know, he's a big fan of these these wild dream sequences also. So those are, I think, three things that you see repeatedly in his films, you know. And the 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 thing to me is, like I said, you get an hour in and you're like, okay, what else do you have to say? And I felt like with this one in Infinity Pool, like there wasn't anything else to say that just kept going. Whereas Possessor, I was worried it was going to lose me, but it did ratchet it up enough to like be like oh that was a satisfying you know third act.
0: Right and I think possessor of these has the most plot has the mm-hmm. most sort of um structure in that way but I think this one has a bit more than infinity pool in the sense that there is sort of this ticking clock you know it starts out in establishing the world and maybe it's a little a little repetitive when you go like, okay, I get what 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 is the deal here? And then when the main character injects himself with this deadly virus, then we get this this ticking clock sense of he's gonna die, and he's got to figure out what's going on. And he gets drawn into the world of Hannah Geist, and he's sort of kidnapped slash, uh, you know, embraced by her team as they use him as as kind of a, a guinea pig for them to figure out how to cure this disease we get Malcolm McDowell as this doctor and he has another yet another exploration of this idea where he's got skin grafts from celebrities that have uh, been placed on his arm and stuff like that so I feel like there was a bit more plot urgency in the final in the the third act where you were wondering is this guy gonna live or not
1: there was also the bit about the other celebrity that they were kind of injecting people with that I felt like uh, didn't really go anywhere.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's some things that are more just like background details, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was okay to have things like that, where it's just a way to establish like the world. And we have all this Hannah Geist stuff, but there are other celebrities too. And, you know, they do this as well. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, you mentioned that, um, that this doesn't really, uh, you know, kind of maybe fit with later David Cronenberg stuff, but. Did you not think about Crimes of the Future when you were watching this?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess what I meant with later David Cronenberg is sort of the direction that he was going before Crimes of the Future. Stuff like like you said, like Eastern Promises and A History of Violence and, and even Cosmopolis and Maps to the Stars. I mean, that whole later portion of his career, um, a, a Dangerous Method where he's making things that are more just like dark dramas and less horror, less sci-fi. And Crimes of the Future is clearly like a deliberate throwback to early David Cronenberg. Um, which we all which yeah, we all
1: really liked last year. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love, love early David Cronenberg and I really like Crimes of the Future. I thought he made a lot of excellent films when he went in that more, I don't know if you want to call it mainstream, but I guess it is because he it, got like Oscar. It's funny because for
1: him, mainstream is experimental.
0: Right. Um, and mm-hmm. I thought that stuff was good, but I, I I definitely did feel in that period of uh, you know, 15 years or so where he was making those like more just dark dramas that I missed some of his early body horror stuff. So I was happy to see him return to that with crimes of the future. And like I was saying, I feel like if you missed that, here's Brandon Cronenberg coming in and saying, Hey, I got it. Here you go. Right.
1: I I just, and it's, it's unfair, but it's, you know, it's hard not to compare, especially seeing these two so recently together, you know? Um, I just feel like that, you know, something like crimes of the future is more fully formed and like the set pieces mean a little more when you get to them because um, the ideas are so, uh, have been so well thought out and everything. So this, like, I do think is, like I said, there's like a lot of method, but um, yeah, um, maybe of all the organs harvested, they needed to harvest a little more heart.
0: Oh, <laughs> holding on to that one, are you? No,
1: <laughs> no, no I wasn't, Josh. I was. But,
0: all right. Yeah. Well, hey, nice work. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think also it's possible that at least at this stage, you know, David Cronenberg has so much more experience sure. working with actors. Yeah and and not that the performances in this movie are bad but i do think there's maybe there are more layers to this that that could have been explored just as the characters go that they're the characters are more just sort of tools within this sci-fi world and we don't understand them fully as people and i think one great thing about crimes of the future is that it's this crazy weird ass world but you have very distinctive people within it and you know, obviously Viggo Mortensen and Kristen Stewart and Lea Seydoux are great actors, but I think part of that also is that David Cronenberg has so much experience working with them, and and I think Brandon, you can see more there are stronger performances in his films.
1: Well. Yeah, totally. I 100 percent agree. Those are those are all really good points. Like the standout performance to me, I mean, look, it's always nice to see Malcolm McDowell, you know, play uh, uh, something offbeat, but really, yes. as a Joe Ping or Joe Pink, uh, who played Arvid the the Delhi har uh, harvester. He he was an interesting character. I thought.
0: Yeah, ping pingay. Maybe I'm not sure yeah. how to pronounce it. But yeah, I mean, this is obviously not a hugely budgeted film, as we say. Although it, it's, I mean, three million Canadian dollars. That's not bad. It's not bad. Really, I don't. I don't but... need that
1: much to make a movie, Canadian <laughs>
0: yeah, or American. And I don't. You're not a Cronenberg <laughs> at all. No. Um, but you know, he's not. He's not getting big stars. I guess is what I'm saying in this film. But yeah, I mean, I think some of those performances in those smaller parts are are decent and give you a sense of of the world there and how people interact with it. But we could have learned more, I think, especially about the main character, Caleb Landry Jones's character, where we don't really understand much about his mindset or his emotions, I think, per se. And he's just sort of a vessel like he is in his job for transporting right. like, diseases like
1: was he like Emily the criminal did he need to do this to pay off college loans or what's going on right. here? so
0: yeah why does why does he risk himself i mean we see that even with the the normal diseases or whatever he's homesick all the time so that he can <laughs> harvest these diseases from his own body and uh, doesn't seem to have any friends or uh, relationships of any kind so what is what is going yeah on like
1: i think there was a missed opportunity also with the you know every day you see the the guys at work like line up to go to um i guess the pharmacy or whatever it is like a library to take out specific uh, viruses to inject in people right right and i think like had they gone in the direction of having those to be like more office space style conversations, like water cooler talk and just stuff about nothing. I think that break from like this relentlessness would have served it well and like added some really uh, like valuable humor to it.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was a little bit of that when they're, they're talking about the like celebrity rumors that they're buying into about the one celebrity, like, you know, her weird, like anatomical quirks or whatever, like she was it they say that she doesn't have a vulva or something. I mean, things that are obviously meant to be the equivalent of online rumors now or whatever that were kind of amusing, but yeah, there definitely could be it could have been a bit more humor this is this is not a is kind of a humorless, film.
1: so Josh, should we rate this thing out of uh, you know? Five celebrity harvested cell steaks.
0: Yeah, let's do it. How many? uh, How many cell steaks do you want to give this? It
1: gives. It gets two and a half for me. Like I'm not hungry anymore, but the meal wasn't really that satisfying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Mm. again, I don't disagree with a lot of your criticisms, but this is just my jam. This kind of film, and so I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half cell steaks. It definitely fed my hunger for early David Cronenberg style films. It's This is like Brandon Cronenberg ingesting a David Cronenberg cell stick, yeah. I think is what's going on here.
1: I think you ingested an extra half a star in that to get it all the way to three <laughs> and a half. But all right. So.
2: All right. Dave, how would you rate this? I'm also going three and a half. Uh, I think there, there's there's a lot to chew on here.
0: Ah, there you go. Mm, all right. Yeah. Well, we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of antiviral. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this episode of our season on the films of 2012. We are talking about debut feature, Antiviral, from Brandon Cronenberg. And we've really been talking a lot about his other works already. Um, As we said, he's made a couple more features. He made Possessor in 2020 and Infinity Pool uh, this year, as we're recording just like this week, basically. I mean, he
1: didn't make it this week.
0: Well, true. Yes, it, it, it came out this week. It's it's in theaters currently as we're talking about this in a shockingly wide release. I yeah, know, this film for something that's that's like kind of off-putting, regardless of what, whether you like it or not. So, Jason, you feel like maybe he hasn't reached his full potential yet?
1: No, and that's not. I mean, maybe he has. Maybe this is the huh. best. I don't know. But yeah. um, you know, he's playing in the same the same pool, like on each one in a way, right? And I guess yeah possessor was the most realized to me i mean look what i'm most interested is like he's had mia goth and andrea riseborough right and they're like and jennifer jason lee too and possessor like so he's right. got these like strong female performers and who deliver and i thought alexander Skarsgård's always good too so i mean i'm now talking about both the movies but they both uh like i said antiviral infinity pool just kind of like um peter out uh, like at a a certain level whereas like possessor kind of was able to get over that hump for me and like give me an ending that satisfied me or like uh just felt like it was a more a ride i wanted to stay on whereas these the 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 new one and the first one i was just after an hour i was like man you gotta you gotta kick this thing up somehow
0: Yeah. I mean, again, I agree that Possessor was probably the strongest. And I think in part that is because it has the most plot, that it's not just like, here's some weird, crazy stuff. Like, I mean, the the other movies have plot as well. And I think it takes a minute to get a handle on what that is, but then you can follow it. But Possessor really has this thriller, almost like spy movie structure to it that I think adds... A lot there. And yeah, the performances are great. Andrew Riseborough, Jennifer Jason Lee, who of course has also worked with David Cronenberg, um, and, and Mia Goth, of course, in, in Infinity Pool. And I, I thought that short film was fun. And I think maybe um, that, because it's only 10 minutes long, Solve some of your problems, or just doesn't have to address your problems because it's so short. It's just like here's a weird idea. The end. Yeah,
1: and at the <laughs> yeah. time of recording, that's on uh, Criterion. If you feel like looking that up, and
0: um, yeah, and I think it's cool. You know, if you like his style, it's definitely in in that style. But Josh,
1: also that one had a crazy dream sequence in ten minutes. Crazy dream sequence, lots of gels and um, cr- close ups on. One, uh, bodily splatter, shall we say, and two, just extreme close-up on a bodily feature.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's got his quirks, and maybe he's just sort of uh, exploring those for now, and maybe he'll expand later on as it goes on. Uh, he is working on a, a miniseries based on the J.G. Ballard novel, Super Can, and J.G. Ballard, of course, the author of Crash which uh, was adapted by David Cronenberg. So uh, I don't know if his maybe working in a longer form um, genre will allow him to expand on his style, but certainly that that doesn't make me think that he's moving further away from, from his father's style. Yeah,
1: I mean, and I don't know the book just from what I've been reading about it and researching here, but another book by Ballard, Cocaine Nights, is kind of in the same vein, and it's all about... What goes on? It feels like a white lotus. Like it's going to be Brandon Cronenberg's white lotus, right? It's what goes on at a luxury resort and all the crazy stuff that comes with it. Um,
0: yeah, something like that. I'm not sure if it's a resort or it's like just an upscale residential area, but of course, that makes you think of David Cronenberg's shivers. So there's a lot of similarities going on there. Yeah. But I do think also, you know, we're talking about the 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 arc of David Cronenberg's career and how he had spent all this time kind of getting away from his early body horror and sci-fi stuff and making these more not straightforward, maybe, but a little more accessible, just like dark dramas for many years. And then he didn't make a movie for, I think, like eight years in between Maps to the Stars and Crimes of the Future when he came back and did something much more similar to his early work. And I wonder if he is in a way influenced by Brandon, seeing what he's doing and thinking, hey, you know what? I kind of want to get back to that. My son is stealing my thing. And
1: I didn't think that at all. I thought maybe he was just influenced by the marketplace and how impossible it is to just make an adult drama right now.
0: Well, sure, sure. But I think the style, the fact that it's not just an adult drama, it is very much a sci fi horror movie in the vein of his earlier films and in the vein of what Brandon had been doing. I, well, no, I, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm
1: saying it's hard to make an adult drama right now. So, right.
0: Yeah. It is. It is. But it's, 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 he could have made, I, I, oh, I see what you're saying, that he had to make a sci fi horror thing because a, an adult drama was not really a possibility. Right.
1: It's not, not something that he's going to get funded at this point in time. Yeah.
0: And that may be true, but I, I'm just speculating. And uh, Brandon Cronenberg's sister, Caitlin Cronenberg, has her own directorial debut called Humane, which looks to be also a sci-fi horror movie that's coming up, I think, later this year. I love so Keep it in Really, the, family. the whole family. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Caleb Landry-Jones, who is the star of this film, is a you know, fairly prolific character actor. He, I feel like he always, or maybe this is just the things that I've seen him in, but he very often plays these sort of weird intense off-putting people yeah uh, mm-hmm. in various films um he's a uh i dave i know you're a big fan of the softies he's a heroin addict in their film heaven knows what was that their debut also i think no i think is it daddy
2: longlegs was that oh daddy debut? longlegs was before that you're right yeah, yeah. okay yeah. but yeah but that's really good too and he's equally gross right that. <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> um you know, he's been in some big films, The Florida Project, Get Out, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, X-Men, he was First big, Class. Right. That was, I think, b- before this was kind of his uh, breakout earlier. Yeah. yeah, Breakout. Exactly. I saw him, I think it was last year, as the title character in this film, Nitram, which is about a mass shooter, a real-life mass shooter in Australia. And he's extremely off-putting in that film. He won the best
1: um, actor at can for that in uh, 2020, I think.
0: Yeah. And that is a, I mean, he's, it's quite a performance. I, I, I have a lot of issues with that film, but he certainly is committed. And, uh, I, he played the robot in Finch opposite Tom Hanks, robot. which is a, a sli- right. slightly lighter <laughs> role.
1: Josh, the two, uh, directors I saw he's got projects coming up with Alex Gibney and Luke Besson. And I believe, uh, the Gibney movie is a narrative, not a, uh, documentary. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly,
0: uh, again sort of a distinctive twitchy kind of performer
1: i mean if you watch him you're like hey bank robber murderer serial killer yeah. right like nothing says romantic lead but hey you know we'll see if uh there's a chance for him out there
0: yeah maybe he'll get there um sarah Gadon, also a pretty familiar face um in in indie films and also a lot of tv roles um as i said she was in david cronenberg's Cosmopolis around this same time. A movie last year that I really, really liked, another Canadian film called All My Puny Sorrows with Alison Pill, where she, they play sisters. She's excellent in that film, which is a super depressing
1: movie. That's the same woman who wrote uh, the book for uh, Women Talking, right?
0: Yeah, Miriam Taves. It's another one of her novels. And I, I actually like that movie better than Women Talking, but it also set in a Mennonite community, a very different kind of, mo- more modern Mennonite community. But But that's kind of her her own personal background. So she draws from that for her novels. And Jason, I know you're a big fan of Letter Kenny, which she has been uh, on a few seasons of that.
1: Yeah, I believe she played uh, one of the skids like uh, she was there with Stuart and uh, rolled. But Josh, uh, I also marked down her work from uh, the last season of True Detective, season three. And she's in the upcoming Michael Mann movie Ferrari, which should be pretty cool. Yeah, I hope Michael Mann rediscovers how to shoot movies because oh, I, taking it to Michael Mann. Oh
0: yeah, uh, yeah well, that's a whole. When did whole
1: he forget how to shoot, shoot movies? Well, which one are you talking about?
0: Black Hat. Probably when he decided that the best way for his movies to look is like they're shot on ugly consumer-grade digital video, I think. And he did the same thing with Public Enemies, which is a period drama. Anyway, it's a whole- Because really, all
1: that stuff, he really like excelled at with like collateral. But anyway, let's move on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah this
0: is definitely a, a separate topic, but I'm sure we'll talk about Michael Mann eventually. I hope so. He's great. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. he is
0: often great. Um, and Malcolm McDowell, we mentioned, he has a fairly small role in this, but I think- this is a, a movie with not a huge budget, and Malcolm McDowell is definitely one of these actors where he will do whatever you 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 he wants to, to do. work, man. Yeah, I mean, you look at the list of things that he's done since this film, and it's like, wow, I've heard of almost none of this. But um, he occasionally is in bigger films. He played Rupert Murdoch in Bombshell, I guess he was in Father Stew recently with Mark Wahlberg. And I, you know, I end up seeing all of these really low budget B movies for a VOD column that I write. And sadly, I probably most recently saw him in the conservative parody of Bernie Sanders called Free La- Free <laughs> Lunch Express. So that was an unfortunate <laughs> nice. role for him.
1: Maybe they should make him watch that movie with his eyes peeled open by like Clockwork yeah, Orange or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't watch most of these films. <laughs> I, I, of. I, you know, last year on Halloween, for Halloween, I watched uh, Paul Schrader's Cat People and he's, he's quite odd in that film. So, you know.
0: He is, yeah. I mean, he's certainly a distinctive presence that if you can hire him for your little B-movie it'll give it a jolt uh you know more so than than what is
1: in the uh, next paul white's movie called moving on which could be all right so yeah
0: we'll see i mean he's still good he was on this kind of underrated amazon series called truth seekers with nick frost that i thought was fun playing nick frost's dad so yeah he's still got a good
1: presence josh i am speaking of shows that i'm watching i uh Recently started watching Station Eleven, which I had missed in its initial airing. But since The Last of Us came out, I'm going uh, apocalypse obsessed. And uh, Joe Pinge or Pinge is uh, uh, in that, and he he's good in it. He I think he plays like the the leader of the the traveling troop, and he's good in that.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, I started watching that as well, and I think I must have not realized that he was there, because I hadn't seen this yet. But yeah. He's a a good, as you said, the kind of a good little presence here as a supporting character in this film.
1: Yeah. So the only other uh, actor I had marked down was Nicholas Campbell, who plays Dorian Lucas. And, uh, you know, lots of, uh, he's in a movie called The Performance coming up and uh, The Dead Zone, Cinderella Man, lots of, lots of movies you've heard of before. The Dead Zone, a David Cronin. Ah, Oh, there you go. Yeah, so really lots of
0: crossover there, lots of crossover going on. So uh, anything else you want to say on the legacy of of antiviral? I
1: had this quote from Brandon Cronenberg about it. I was delirious and was obsessing over the physicality of illness, the fact that there was something in my body and in my cells that had come from somebody else's body and started to think there was a weird intimacy to that connection. Afterwards, I tried to think of a character who would see a disease that way. And I thought a celebrity obsessed fan, celebrity culture completely fetishizes the body. And so I thought the film should also fetishize the body in a very grotesque way. So I made seven movies in a row like that. Okay, the last part I put in there, but the rest is his. Yeah,
0: Yeah, all right, fair enough. But no, I mean, I I think he's got a clear idea here and I think the movie effectively expresses that. So I think it's a good movie. And especially as people are seeing Infinity Pool now, I think it's worth going back to check this film out if you liked Infinity Pool. Yeah, I'm not against it. All right. There you go. Jason's not against it. That's that's a ringing endorsement. It's
1: not the uh, conservative Absolutely. conservative Bernie Sanders parody, so I'm not against You're it. Right? So. Yeah, definitely don't see that movie. I sadly have.
0: So that is Antiviral, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year.
1: You can infect us online and on oh, social media. that's not a good thing to do, but you can look <laughs> at us there. Uh, we're at uh, awesomemovieyear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy on all the socials. I got a website, Eat This Comedy Up. Also, Eat This Comedy in the Trivia Party on Instagram. You can find me at joshbellhateseverything.com and
0: at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome
2: podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And check out Josh and I talking about Possessor a couple of years ago and up soon, uh, Infinity Pool. So much Brandon Cronenberg content. Yeah, you guys yes. you guys
1: don't even know, need to go to the Brandon Cronenberg deli. You're eating all of him so much. <laughs> <laughs> we are.
0: Jason, what do we have coming up in our next episode?
1: Josh, I thought I could escape. <laughs> It is our uh, biggest flop episode, and uh, I don't have good memories of this one, Josh. It's uh, John Carter versus aliens and Mars, or I don't know. What's it called, Josh? It's just called John Carter, which was perhaps one of the problems (laughs) with it that we'll
0: discuss in that episode.
1: The things we do for you, audience. The things we do for you.
0: Yeah, I mean... Well, we'll get into all of that. So tune in next time for John Carter. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year.
2: Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.